0: Support for Veterans Corner on Veterans Corner Radio is made possible by M&M Printing and the Observer News of Ruskin. Hello and welcome to Veterans Corner Radio podcasts, information for and about veterans. Today, host Bill Hodges has a conversation with Dr. Abigail Ankow, Deputy Associate Chief of Staff for Outpatient Mental Health Operations at the VA in San Diego, California. Dr. Ancow gives us a first look at a developing challenge, delayed onset PTSD. We have all heard about our troops returning from war being affected by post-traumatic stress disorder, but normally the condition manifests itself in short order. Now, the VA is seeing cases appearing years after the event that triggers it. Here now is Bill Hodges with Veterans Corner Radio on Veterans Corner Radio Podcasts. Welcome to Veterans Corner, a show dedicated to providing information to all those who have served our country's military and to their families. Now, here is your host, newspaper columnist, management trainer, and Air Force veteran, Bill Hodges.
1: Hi, I am Bill Hodges, and this is Veterans Corner Radio. And you've got a great show coming for you today. You're going to find this extremely interesting. I think it'll answer a lot of questions. And it might put you on guard to things that are coming in the future. I have with me as my guest, Abigail Ankow. She's the PhD consultant, PTSD consultation program, National Center for PTSD, Deputy Associate Chief of Staff for Outpatient Mental Health Clinical Operations, VA San Diego. And I really appreciate you taking your time and coming on the show today. Doctor, we're going to be talking about PTSD. And one of the things that is coming up and I'm seeing more and more of is delayed onset PTSD. Before we get into that, though, could you give us an overview of what PTSD is, why we're seeing so much more of it now? Or are we? Was it always there? We just didn't see it.
2: You know, I thank you so much for having me today. And I I appreciate the opportunity to kind of talk about PTSD first before talking more about delayed onset, because there are, you know, there are a lot of ideas about PTSD. It's it's popular and in, in media and in the news pretty frequently. PTSD is a unique mental condition in that it requires the experience of a trauma and there really aren't other sort of mental conditions that, re- that as part of the diagnosis require that you have experienced something. Oh, okay. And then like the part about the trauma gets further defined in terms of a, a trauma being something that involves actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence. One thing we know is that most people in their lifetime actually will experience trauma. It's something like 60% of men and 50% of women will experience trauma. When it gets down to PTSD, it's a much lower percentage, though. So it's it's closer to about six percent in a civilian population. But when we're talking about veterans, more like 15, 18% um, in veterans because of a higher exposure.
1: Three times as much.
2: Exactly, because of being as part of their work, a lot of our veterans have deployed to combat and war zones where inherent and part of that is going to be some sort of exposure, either direct or maybe something that they witnessed or that they learned about happening to somebody that they care about.
1: Can this be something that, for instance, a patrol goes out and something really goes bad and they come back and they share it with their buddies? Could that sharing be the trauma?
2: It can be. You know, that is... Especially in a context context like that, if they are there and there's some sort of feeling like, oh, that could have been me or you know, or that's somebody that they really care about, um, there is a kind of an exposure type of learning about it happening to a close family member or a close friend, that, that would meet kind of criteria for having some sort of trauma experience and we know um, people will, can develop PTSD from that. So one thing you had asked is whether or not This is something that's been around, or you know, is there kind of an increased incidence? There's some really interesting writings about all the different names that PTSD has had (laughs) since the beginning of really conflict, you know. So, uh, the ones that we're most familiar with are like soldiers' hearts, or just kind of generally people calling it like combat stress,
1: shell shock,
2: shell shock, exactly. Yes, that, um all these different ways to describe. And I think that's one thing to think about when we're talking about kind of mental disorders and kind of things that we diagnose or that I would diagnose as a psychologist. We're really trying to define naturally occurring phenomena. And shell shock, soldier's heart, those were things that we know have been around for many years. It isn't until 1980 that PTSD actually came in terms of being a diagnosis. So some of just the increased kind of like acknowledgement is because it's a fairly new diagnosis. It's only in its forties. So when we know that the experience of trauma and of PTSD essentially pre-exists, the diagnosis actually existing. And then with that, when it became a diagnosis, one good thing about it is people could do more research on it. So there's been more research, more attention, more work on treatments. And with all that, I think there's just more attention um, kind of um, in a good way and, you know, encouraging people to get help that really wasn't around in the 80s. It, it can feel like a greater incidence, but it, but I think it's more just a renewed attention. You know, we, we care about our veterans. And so
1: I think one of the things that, that I'm seeing, at least within the veterans community, and outside is it's legitimate now, yes, the legitimacy of it before oh, you were a coward, you're weak, whatever that's not the case anymore. Yes, there are some old hands that are still looking at it from that standpoint, and there may even be some active duty commanders who aren't enlightened enough to know these things are going on, but I think part of what wor- the work you're doing is giving it legitimacy.
2: I think that's so important, and it's it's meaningful. I think it. There'll be a times while I'll meet with a veteran in my office. We'll go through an intake, and I think just receiving that diagnosis in itself, giving a, a name, and you know, being able to talk about treatment, there's just a sense of relief sometimes that I'll hear from people, and you know, that kind of definitely. I like the way that you describe that. Giving it legitimacy is absolutely true.
1: When we are dealing with people in our everyday life, what are some of the symptoms and family members that might be watching for? Uh, We've got a lot of, I don't want to get into the delayed PTSD yet, but one of the reasons is that a woman came to me and said, you know, my husband all of a sudden is having these problems Mm -hmm. and I wasn't qualified to make a diagnosis by any means, but I did had this knowledge that there was this thing going on he'd been healthy all these years and all of a sudden something went wrong but what kind of things should we look for that would give us some red flags
2: i think one important thing to know about trauma and experiencing trauma is that having a reaction is normal you know and so after someone experiences trauma we would expect them to have what we call kind of re-experiencing symptoms, so potentially nightmares or intrusive memories of the trauma. And some people describe it like a, a flashbulb image. It, it, that's a pretty common way to describe it. A lot of folks use the phrase flashbacks, and it might not exactly know what that means. But flashbacks me essentially means like feeling like you're back at the time of the trauma, like. That can mean like feeling like you're seeing it or feeling it. Like I, I've worked with veterans who sometimes in some areas of here in San Diego, it just reminds them so much of being in the desert that all of a sudden they feel like they're back at that time. And that is something that we might call a flashback. But those are those kind of intrusions are common they also are pretty emotionally painful. You know, people have reactions like heart racing, physiological reactions, or um, they can be really scary or cause um, distress or anxiety. And because of that, avoidance is a big part of PTSD, you know, and it makes sense why avoidance is sure. so people avoiding those memories. So they don't feel that way, you know, so that they, they don't feel distressed or avoiding anything that might remind them of trauma. And then there are two other kind of major clusters of PTSD symptoms. One is a general change, a negative change in thoughts. And that might be changes in the way that people think about themselves, think about other people. So maybe feeling like, and usually in an extreme way, so feeling like the world is completely dangerous, or I am broken, you know, some, some sort of phrases that are not helpful and will affect themselves. Can, we can, might also see um, misplaced blame and guilt, survivor guilt. Um, that That's part of, potentially might be part of PTSD. And then um, also kind of the last set of PTSD symptoms and something that we hear people talk about a lot are what we call hyperarousal symptoms. So difficulty sleeping, Hypervigilance, so being extra on guard and watchful, being really reactive, so more irritable, maybe more aggressive than they would typically be. So that, that kind of that set or constellation of that, those symptoms after a trauma are actually really common. It's a normal reaction to that abnormal kind of trauma experience. If somebody is seeing that for a sustained amount of time, so over a a couple months, or it's really affecting their day-to-day life. That's when I really would think about, like, looking towards an assessment and um, seeing if it might be PTSD.
1: Is it reasonable for a wife, or a family member, or even a good friend, to call the VA and say, "Hey, look, I, I think this guy really needs
2: help"? Yes, absolutely. There are, and in a lot of ways, it's a or lot gals, easier. Yeah,
1: for that matter. I shouldn't be sexist. (laughs) It goes both ways.
2: Absolutely, it does. And I I think there are a lot of ways that the VAs try to help facilitate that for our um, men and women veterans. And there is a website called Make the Connection. You know, and if somebody just looks up the phrase Make the Connection. connection
1: Maketheconnection.org.com.
2: I believe it is .org, but I would have to double check. Well, if um, that
1: doesn't work, then try .com. <laughs> Go both ways.
2: That is true. And I can tell you, it's actually make dot .net, if someone, okay. So if, it is a website where actually the whole goal is for family members and friends to help a veteran make the connection to VA mental health. It allows the opportunity for Family members or friends to actually talk to somebody, to talk to somebody about how can I best, you know, help somebody that I care about to, to make that connection to help. It also can provide some resources. But absolutely, what we often say in the VA is there's no wrong door. We want folks to tell a primary care provider, just walk into the VA. You know, we don't want to. We really want to um, help people get into the care that they. Um, Well, there's certainly
1: plenty of ways to do that. There's all kind of phone numbers to call places to go and things to be able to connect with the VA. Uh, One of the things that the VA can't do is go out and drag you in. There's just no way in the world they can do that. But I'm glad to see almost 20 years ago now, uh, we had a vet out here that I was talking with. And we spent an afternoon together talking. And he was one of the first four people in a platoon to get to one of the prison camps, uh, death camps, actually. And his, his remembrances were horrible. Uh, he broke down crying, and, and I said, you know, you need to go to somebody. Nah, I'll be all right. He's now passed away, and fortunately, nothing. But I know he had an awful time sleeping, uh I know that he'd wake up with sweats and screaming cuz his wife had told me about it that's why we had the conversation going into it so this we're talking about world war II, that, that started having this happen yeah so let's talk a little bit now about delayed ptsd what's bringing it on now
2: so there are people will kind of use different phrases to describe that delay Most commonly, most people have those kind of immediate symptoms after a trauma and over time it might, if if they still have those symptoms over time, we call it PTSD. A delayed onset means that it's been six or more months since the trauma and then six or more months delay in meeting PTSD criteria.
1: Could it be a couple of years or even five or 10 years?
2: It absolutely can. It could be a couple decades. You know, I think okay. there are um, there's no limit to the amount of time.
1: that so we've is got Korean War and even some World War II people that might be affected now.
2: Sure thing. And, you know, I think there are some common things that we know about delayed onset. Even with delayed onset, people still have had some PTSD symptoms. It just delayed onset doesn't mean being completely fine, and then having some symptoms, usually it's more of a delay in meeting all of the symptoms of PTSD. So more often, some people have some symptoms of PTSD, maybe over time. And what we know is, if someone's avoidance is really strong, you know, we may not even notice some of the, you know, nightmares and things like that. And then there might be some sort of life event, like a life stressor that might remind them of the trauma. And that's kind of a a pretty common way that we might see delayed onset happen is, you know, some sort of something triggering it in day to day life, rather than it just coming out of the blue, that that would be pretty rare and uncommon.
1: We're almost at the end of the show. And I wish I had 30 minutes or 40 minutes with you. You're just so interesting. But let's take the last minute or two what are some of the things that you would advise people listening in, both the person having the problem and those observing the problem, that they might be able to do now?
2: I think this is just, you know, we started talking about how PTSD wasn't a diagnosis until 1980. You know, and with that really means that we, it's just in the past couple of decades that we've really been able to develop effective PTSD treatments. And so, you know, what I would hope is that folks would, even if they've had, you know, tried treatment before and maybe didn't find it effective, if, if folks are still, still, you know, experiencing the effects of trauma, especially related to their service, you know, I would hope that they would try, you know, to get the care that they deserve, you know, try to, to, to,
1: Come make to that call right
2: absolutely make that call may you know it's it's not too late you know and there are plenty of people that um maybe have tried treatment in the past and come back and and, and now is a good time maybe it's because it's a better time in their life there are less barriers um we know that there are natural stressors that come you know around retirement and um but there also might just be more time you know and so we we see veterans coming in at, of all ages, you know, and so I would hope that folks would make that call and come in for
1: care. And a lot of them, you know, if your health deteriorates, you're not as strong as you might have been in the past to fight some of this off. Exactly. And, and yeah. as you grow older, as you point out, maybe in retirement, you've been busy, busy, busy. Now you've got time to sit and be introspective. Mm-hmm. There are just so many things. Doctor, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the show with us. And I hope those of you out there listening, if you think your loved one has PTSD, then it doesn't matter when they served. Call the VA. Let them know that. Encourage your person. It's not a weakness. Correct, doctor?
2: That is absolutely right. It usually reflects the time when people are strong, you know, and we're doing their best to help serve our country.
1: And it's like diabetes or any other disease. It is a disease post-traumatic stress disease. My guest today has been Abigail Ancal, PhD consultant, and she is the deputy associate chief of staff for the Outpatient Mental Health Clinic Operations, VA San Diego. And that's a beautiful place out there. And I, I suppose, you know, there's other places people would feel like they've got a reason to feel bad, but out there is so pretty, you yeah, have beautiful day after day. <laughs> it true. makes it a little harder to treat. But doctor, thank you for coming on the program.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm Bill Hodges. This has been Veterans Corner Radio. Remember, you're unique, you're special, and you're great. Tell yourself so often because you are, you know. And we'll talk to you again very soon on Veterans Corner Radio.
0: You've been listening to Veterans Corner with your host, Air Force veteran Bill Hodges. The views expressed on this program are those of Bill and his guests and are opinions based on the best available information. In matters of law or governmental regulation, it will always be best to check with the appropriate agency. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us for the next Veterans Corner. Before we go, here's a quick final thought. Why not take a minute to follow or mark Veterans Corner radio podcasts as a favorite? It's easy, and you'll be among the first to be notified when new episodes of the podcast are released. And thanks for listening to Veterans Corner Radio Podcasts.